I was basically poached from one division uh, in my work to another. And I used to always go and talk to who my current boss is now and talk about Game of Thrones, sci-fi. Um, uh, but I would also ask him questions on what he was working on. Because in our all staff, I would hear him discuss various things. And so sometimes they were of interest. And I would say, hey, what what does this mean? Or what are you looking into? Or um, or even be like, hey, I read this. I think this. Am I in the right path? Or do, am I correct in assuming this? And it turned into really him providing uh, feedback and and some mentorship on that. And so when the person who had my job before me took a position in a in, in a company, a different company, he came to me and offered me this job. And he told me, he's like, I know you don't know majority of these things, but I know that you'll put in the work. Welcome to the Leadership, Equity, and Wellness Pod with Ricky Roy. Today's guest is Karina Perez. Karina is the Director for Unmanned and Emerging Aviation Technologies at the Aerospace Industries Association. In this role, she works with AIA's members regarding unmanned aircraft systems, urban mobility, and spectrum, among other areas, and works to find industry consensus on complex issues facing the aviation industry. Karina is also the co-founder of the Z Factor Fellowship, an organization focused on providing internships to underrepresented communities in the aerospace industry. In 2021, Karina was recognized by Women in Aerospace with the Initiative, Inspiration, and Impact Award for her bold advocacy for women and underrepresented communities in the aerospace industry while building consensus amongst policymakers and industry to enable the next generation of flight. Our recording starts now. Welcome. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. If it's all right with you, I'd love to talk about our first topic, which is genuine network development. And I'm really curious about what genuine network development means to you. Yeah, so um, I'm going to start kind of of where I learned to network and the differences I think that I have from where I learned, how I developed, and then how it impacts my career. So originally I started with the entertainment industry with comic con a comic con type events and the networking was similar but different the follow-up was not as i would say formal as it is in the context of dc or the context of the aerospace industry so i learned a lot of the conversations and finding genuine interest in what people were working on it's i think you know sometimes a little easier when you're talking about science fiction and it's a book you like or a show you like um, however, that did translate a lot into my networking in DC. Um, when I first came to DC it was in 2017 as an intern with the House Science Committee. Uh, and I got to know a lot of people mainly because of both the interests of the industry and science fiction. Science fiction helped me a lot in these in keeping conversations going and keeping, I would say, a personal touch to my engagement. 
uh, I don't want my engagement with people to seem transactional or to feel transactional because there's more to people into the industry than just the work that we do. There's a lot of who we are, especially in this industry. I think this industry brings a lot of people who are passionate about what they do. And that brings a big part of who they are as well. So I try to not ignore that. Um, and then, but I was struggling with the follow-up, the, how do I continue? What do I do next? Like, how do I actually do this? And I had a really good, um, let's say two hour debrief with uh, a former counsel from NASA. And he just sat down with me over coffee and walked me through how to network, what to do. And some of the things I had already learned, but it was really the follow-up of, okay, then what do you do after? Um, and one of them was follow up with those personal touches, follow up on the, hey, it was nice talking to you about uh, aviation policy and Star Trek. <laughs> or it was nice to talk to you about your time in Los Angeles or something like that, something that made it feel more of a genuine connection. And it starts to build a more genuine connection. And two, it's identifying why you actually want to follow up, whether it's like continuing to learn about their work, something they mentioned, or um, or just in general, finding a mentor. And I think that that's one of the main items that we need to identify is how to follow up and always offering help in return as in like, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. Uh, because I think we, especially as students, we think that we don't have things to offer, but a lot of the times we have time and uh, and in uh, passion, and those can be very helpful when uh, people have projects, have volunteering opportunities, or anything of that nature. So that follow up and that more one on one conversation was really how I started to build more genuine connections, and also try to consistently follow up with people it gets a little bit harder as you grow in your career and you develop more more people and it's uh it's hard to keep track but it's good to try and to reach out to people and like I said not just reach out on the work side of things but also some of the personal items as personal as people are of course comfortable but uh it's always nice to have that because it's not it's not just work do this industry is very passionate so we need to bring some of that um, and I would always, after we did the follow-up, I would ask either for further conversation, a connection, or follow-up on a, a either a project uh, or a person they mentioned to kind of continue to pull on that thread. And, and if I didn't, if I couldn't think of something, I would ask for eyes on my resume. Uh, eyes on resumes are always super helpful. The more eyes you get on it, the better it's going to look. And people will remember also what you have in your resume. So when something comes up, they'll think, oh, I remember this person had X, Y, Z in their resume. Um, but yeah, so I think that that's part of what I, I did to build my genuine conversations and also thinking about like not wasting people's time uh, and thinking mm -hmm. about like, these are people I actually want to connect with. These are people who I think could develop a good relationship, both a working and possibly a personal relationship, because, uh, you know, people are busy, but uh, in 
but people are very likely to not give you a no in this industry because everyone likes what they do. But it, you just got to make sure to be aware of the time that you're also asking from, from them. That's incredible. Wow. I feel as though you've dropped so many gems in what you just said. And I wanted to sort of highlight this for anyone listening with just the ESPN highlights. So in terms of first connecting authentically or genuinely, it's that personal connection. And then it's the sort of following up that you're focusing on and ensuring that the authenticity that you brought at the start with the personal touch remains throughout. And then you sort of break down all these ways along the spectrum of how long you've known them and how you're reaching back out. Because I think what's so interesting is when you connect with someone and maybe they were the perfect connection for you at one point of time, but then as your role evolves or as you progress, maybe you haven't checked in with them for a while. Mm -hmm. And so all the things you mentioned in terms of the resume review, having this other human also think of you and put you at the forefront of their mind for that brief period of time. All of that is so helpful. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I think it's like really humans connecting with humans. It's not a worker with a worker. It's like a human with a human. And in this industry, there's so much passion. So it's easier to have that connection. And I think there's more that we have in common with each other than separates us. So it's there's always going to be some sort of connection. And also one thing that uh, that I was very much put in my head, it's like, always be nice to everyone because you never know who you're going to work for next. The intern you talk to might be your boss like six years, 10 years down the line. Absolutely, um, yeah. And it's true because the industry just, it constantly shifts and people change roles constantly and you end up, working with each other in one way or another. It's a very big, but small industry. I love that. And with all of the different methods of connection and communication, especially as newer graduates join the industry, I'd love to take a moment briefly to talk about messaging etiquette, because I know for sure that as someone with a social media account and several avenues or messaging platforms through which someone can reach me. I've seen a wide variety of messages, some kinder uh, than others. And so I'd love to know about ways in which people have reached out to you that have made it feel like you definitely want to respond. Because sometimes I've encountered having to say no because of the way in which a message comes through mm -hmm. the way in which it is written what is oftentimes demanded instead of requested because sometimes when people either have multiple places where you can reach them that humanness sometimes gets taken away it becomes this page or this monolith and yeah. so yourself as a director now I'd be so curious to know about 
things that you prefer over other things when people reach out to you? Yeah, so that's like uh, the one thing that I mentioned earlier is the considering people's time and what you're asking for in terms of their time. Um, you know, I would say when they ask for, when they introduce themselves properly as in like, I am a student in blah, blah, blah. My interest is X, Y, Z. That helps me right away identify, okay, you care about this. Could I provide information to you? Could I not? Um, and then ask, give, having their ask, whether it's like, do they want information? Do they want a meeting? Do they want, like, what do they want? Uh, or what are they looking for? I think the more like properly described email that you can give, even if it's on LinkedIn, just like, hi, I'm a student from uh, Cal State Northridge and I'm studying policy, but I'm interested in aerospace. Uh, would, it, would it be okay to pick your brain next week? And then a couple of options of times. If these don't work, let me know and I can give you and I can follow up. That is perfect because I can right away look at my calendar and say, that works, send me an, an, a calendar invite or something. Like that just makes it easier for me to be able to provide the time because it's like, I'm not having to go back and forward. And, and But if they bring it like out straight, describing what they're looking for, what their interest is. And if I can't help, I can say, maybe I can connect you with this other person. Or I can guide you to this other person if I'm not the one that's going to be able to help. But I think having them do their research on what they're like, even if it's the broad topics of what they're looking for, because of course they're reaching out because they need uh, more info, but just the having that is very helpful. And I think those are the most successful uh, types of messages that um, that I receive. And I would say my emails on our website. So people are free to reach out to me on our website. Uh, my email, I'm pretty sure it's uh, in my social media accounts. Like it's easy to reach out to people, but I think it's just making sure that you reach out properly. And I think at least for me, preferably would be like on LinkedIn or an email or something like that if it's professional because on Instagram or something like that, it just feels a little out of, I wouldn't say out of bound, but I'm not an influencer or I'm not a anything like that where I would be able to to connect in that way um, but I know it can be very different to different people there's people who prefer different platforms <laughs> uh, so it's uh, it, I think it's very dependent but um, LinkedIn and email I think are some of the best ones for professional connections um, and I think overall people are more willing than, than not to say yes to a informational interview. It's just more making sure that you are asking for the right things or, um, or clearly asking for what you're looking for because that's gonna help us identify whether we can help you or if we can send you to someone else who might be able to help you. Um, uh, yeah, because if we if we have the clear, we will we won't say no. We'll just say maybe try reaching out to this person, or let me introduce you to this other person. Absolutely, and I think that's what's interesting is so from what you shared, there's so many parallels with how I reached out when I was looking to build my network as an international student because I simply didn't know where to apply to because a lot of the places that 
I know I can apply to now either didn't exist or were in stealth. And that being said, I would always, as you said, introduce myself, provide timings. I would attach a portfolio so that they could get to know me more in a way that I had control over. So beyond LinkedIn, and this was a website that had colors and pink and yellow. So it showed that I was this vibrant engineer. But what you mentioned about the platform is also so important. And I wanted to plug this in here where if you're reaching out to someone, perhaps on LinkedIn and they prefer email or Instagram DMs or TikTok DMs, whatever it may be, to perhaps add in the question of where would you prefer me to reach out to? I can also reach out elsewhere and communicate elsewhere. And I think the key, I suppose, is making it easy for someone to say yes, because there's been so many Instagram DMs that I've read where it's been so challenging to communicate back and forth. And despite plugging my email in, I've never heard from the person at the other end, simply because um, sometimes maybe a person wants to engage in the way that's best for them instead of the person that they're reaching out to. So to put the other person's preference when you're reaching out to someone front and center, I think is also key. Yeah. And I think like uh, there might be a barrier sometimes of thinking, oh, email, this seems very professional. It's like another level. And I think majority of people, once the actual meeting happens I think that bear goes down but it's just a quick and writing a professional email it's not very difficult consider it like an essay intro body like what you want conclude uh so it's not that different from what they're already doing in in school so it's like that's just like one step you take but then the rest it can be very different and especially as like as I mentioned if you build more of those personal connections more of that human to human interaction rather than professional to professional I love that and so I wanted to go back to something you shared in terms of keeping in touch with folks as both of your jobs and lives evolve. And you mentioned saying, I would love to know more about the work you are doing. So feeling inspired by someone ahead of you learning about what is exciting to them currently or challenging or what is their biggest challenge and all of that's like great information to know of. But I'd love to know more about that phrasing when you're offering help yourself of, can I do anything to help you? And to make sure it's phrased correctly, especially when you're talking to someone who's a director or the head of something or a deputy director, like someone super high up and in offering, uh, not a hand to them, but just like suggesting that you'd love to help them as well. And I'm sure there are there are ways in which you could be of help to them. I'd love to unpack that further. Yeah. So usually during conversations, as you probably know in this industry, people do their day job and then they have also passion projects and they'll likely mention them in your conversation. So it could be as easy of, let me know if there's any way I can support you in X. 
um, or as simple as, let me know if I can be of service. Uh, just offering your yourself to to work on anything that they might want. Or like I said, it's either following up on something they said or just offering yourself uh, of service. Uh, sometimes it's as simple as that. But the, if you want to make sure that there is a follow-up, sometimes it's bringing up those passion projects that are, might not have, especially if you're looking at very senior people who they can't bring you into the company to work on um, what they're working on. But a lot of the times they're working on passion projects and that might be another place to connect and to help and to build a better relationship. And uh, I would say 80, 90% of the time, people's passion projects are giving back to the industry or giving back to the community so it you'll still have that connection and you'll never know where that where that will lead um so i think that that is some some ways to offer yourself to be of service especially when you feel like you're a student and that you don't have uh much to offer yet uh but you have time and you if you have a work ethic like that is more than enough for to help others um and a lot of the times that's where a lot of the brilliant ideas come from is when you have these young people who don't have the i would say the the filters of industry already inside it and so you you get you get new perspectives and so being able to offer yourself for one of their projects or just in general um, I think that 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 comes in handy. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I love how everything that you shared is directly part of your journey into transitioning into the role that you're in now. And I'd love to talk about that and that transition from where you were a couple years ago to where you are now. And I'm curious about what you've learned in this transition in taking the opportunities that were presented to you and what does it mean to you and look like to you now? Because sometimes when things are presented in front of us, we may not know the ways in which it may truly evolve. And so I'm curious about what that has looked like for you. Yeah, so uh, the transition to where I am now is was an interesting one because I was, uh, as you know, when we first met, I did a lot more space-related uh, items, but then this opportunity came came around, and it was actually because I I built a good relationship with who my boss is currently, and so uh, for the listeners, I was basically poached from one division uh, in my work to another. And I used to always go and talk to who my current boss is now and talk about Game of Thrones, sci-fi. Um, uh, but I would also ask him questions on what he was working on because in our all staff, I would hear him discuss various things. And so sometimes they were of interest and I would say, hey, what what does this mean? Or what are you looking into? Or, um, or even be like, hey, I read this, I think this am I in the right path or do, am I correct in assuming this? And it turned into really him providing uh, feedback and, and some mentorship on that. And so when the person who had my job before me took a position in a, in, in a company, a different company, he came to me and offered me this job. And he told me, 
He's like, I know you don't know majority of these things, but I know that you'll put in the work. And I think that that was also something helpful is uh, showcasing myself as somebody who could do the work and who could learn. Um, and so it was a great opportunity for me because I was moving from manager to director in a very fast timeline, I think, well, from intern to director in like a three-year timeline. And that was very intimidating for myself as well because I was like, I hope I don't mess up. Like, am I ready? Will I... Like, I don't know everything on this issue. How am I going to take on this? Am I going to be okay doing this? Um, and so that was a lot of my internal, I would say conflict. And I was turning on it. And it's interesting because you are looking at all these things while you have a positive um, thing in front of you, but you're still thinking negatively. I'm like, am I ready? Can I do this? XYZ and then thinking okay no like it's an opportunity and at the same time I was actually interviewing at another company and both of them were very different career paths from what I was doing very different career paths and I had to start thinking to myself which one do I take <laughs> which one where do I go like what what do I want to do with my life um, but I ultimately pick where I am now because I wanted, I came to DC to do policy and I wanted to learn that policy. And so I said, I'm going to do this because I'm going to gain the skill that I need. And this is a good way of learning it. And I did, I was basically thrown into the deep end and, um, in, in terms of working in a policy that is on emerging technology, which is can be very difficult because as we were talking before recording, it's integrating new things into a very complex system. And it's all about safety. The system's all about safety. Aviation is about safety and integrating new things into that can become very difficult. Uh, so it was a learning curve, both for me in learning that aspect of things and navigating it, but also learning about the personalities, the new people, building new relationships, and then building them while in COVID, while, while being remote. Um, that was a very difficult item as well, but um, it was me trying to take all of these things into consideration and saying, you know what, it's a good opportunity. I need to do it. Uh, it's it was a scary opportunity, but uh, I did it, and so far it's been great. The people that I've met have been amazing, and uh, I would say that the the industry itself, this section of the industry, is extremely exciting because it's not something that's going to be like twenty years from now. It's basically some people are looking for operations within the next two years, <laughs> and thinking about helping and implementing that technology or helping get that technology out into the airspace is kind of crazy and kind of um, almost surreal to think about that because it's completely, it's not completely new technology, but it is, if that makes sense. It's, it's different, yeah. it's new, it's exciting. Um, so it, it's been, been crazy and so taking opportunities when they come even though it's not what you thought was going to be your path I would say 
it's worth it. It's worth taking the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was a challenge. It was it was a straight up challenge, but I think I've gotten so much from it. And sometimes taking these opportunities can feel risky. They can feel scary because you might feel like you're not prepared. Imposter syndrome might be hitting. Um, some other, you know, our industry doesn't really look like us. <laughs> so that plays a role into it. So, but I think it's just... Uh, just jumping in and, and doing it uh, and doing doing as best as you can. And it's helpful. And sometimes you have to know when to do it and when not to. Um, if you feel like you have a good support system around you, that will be a good indicator of moving forward and doing something that feels scary because you'll have people to rely on. Um, and also knowing if, it, thinking if it's going to be something that has things you want. I love that. And, it's so valuable. All of this. Yeah, and I recently had another opportunity, but in my head I was I was thinking I haven't learned what I need to learn mm-hmm. in this current position. Well, more like I've learned it, but I need to for it to settle in. I need for it to settle in and I need for it to be refined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'd love to talk more about that journey, breaking it down from intern to manager and how you felt about that transition. Because the manager to director one almost feels like you're chugging along on your career journey in an expedited way, but the intern to manager one almost feels like the bigger jump, especially I want to say in it was in a year or two years so I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, so uh, I was joking to my boss this year because I was telling him, like, I'm averaging a uh, promotion a year. Where is my next one? Uh, <laughs> uh, there is no next one because there's no positions above me right now available. But uh, it, it was really funny in terms of thinking about that and looking back at it because when it was happening, I think it was just happening so fast that I was just saying okay and I would say the intern it went from intern to research assistant which was a position they made so that they could hire me (laughs) there was no position available so they said we want to keep you though how do we how do we keep you so they made the research assistant position and then from research assistant I just went with it and I was doing everything I could um because I like the work. And again, you just go and you do a bunch of things. And I was doing things both inside of AIA and outside of AIA. And uh, my outside things were also bringing good um, good views and good perspectives to AIA. So that helped in the transition to manager. So that one I think felt a little less overwhelming and scary because I felt like it was the the next step based on the type of work and the amount of work I was doing. Um, the manager to director felt more scary because it was in a different topic. It was completely yeah. it was completely out of my comfort zone. So uh, I felt like if it was a bigger workload in a topic I knew would have felt a little bit, I would say, 
better if it again we can't think of a better word but it would it would have been better be more ease in that transition instead of that whiplash of not only imposter syndrome but the learning curve of policy in a totally new industry that's not an easy feat at all yeah it was that learn the new acronyms learn the new structures and I also had spectrum on I have spectrum under my portfolio and that's a whole nother um structure of not just learning our industry, but also learning the way that telecommunications and the FCC interact and how they interact with us. And that was a whole another layer of items that I had to be in, uh, basically learn in a couple months because there was issues happening and I needed to, to be active <laughs> and I needed to, yeah, it was basically drinking out of a fire hose and trying to put out a fire at the same time. <laughs> that is both exciting and frightening. <laughs> and I'm so happy that you've made it on the other side. What I'm so curious about is how cultural intentionality and authenticity has played a role in all of this. And as you mentioned, there aren't folks who look like us in the upper echelons of this work. And so how did all of that play a role in you stepping into this yeah so I think it's been a self-discovery journey for me too uh, when I moved to the U.S. I felt like I needed to basically assimilate and I pushed a lot of my culture aside in order to assimilate to the U.S. culture uh, both out of pressure to fit in but also you know kids are mean kids kids can be very 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 mean um and so I pushed a lot of it to the side and it wasn't until I graduated college and moved to the other side of the country and started to realize I am missing a part of me I am missing a section of who I am as a person and who I am culturally um, and it started with food it started with me trying to learn how to cook the things that I I pushed to the side and not learn how to cook and that led into more of discovery of the culture discovery of parts of myself that I pushed to the side but that I now consider beautiful um and it was slowly seeping into work. Our CEO, AAA, Eric Fanning, uh, first uh, gay man to serve as Secretary of the Army, uh, he has always told us, "You you can't be your you can't be your best self at work if you don't bring your full self." And that kind of stuck with me in terms of trying to figure out how to bring my full self. Um, I started to ease in with science fiction and, and just general uh, nerdiness and bringing that aspect of me into work. And that helped a lot in communicating what we do to the public because sci-fi is an easier entry point to science than straight out hard science. So that helped me and I felt comfortable because it was something that I loved, something that I considered a part of me. Um, and so slowly I've been integrating aspects of myself 
And over the last, I would say, year and a half, I've been integrating more of like my cultural um, background in terms of my clothing, some things that I feel are representative of both me, but also the people that look like me um, and showcasing that we're there and that we are capable of doing all of these things. And so for me, it's been this process of figuring out how to mold both of myself into, into one and bringing it to this industry and being almost unapolog unapologetic about it. Um, so it's, it's been exciting. It's been a little nerve wracking because, uh, you know, if, as soon as you bring something new, people will, will see it. And especially because my culture has a lot of colorful stuff and I tend to wear only black. So it's like, how do I inter in, interface those things? And how do I put these, uh, accessories on me in spaces that are not used to seeing them? Um, and so that has been something, but it, luckily it has been very welcomed. And recently, last week, I was on a panel and I put on um, a feather piece that is meant to be similar to the feather pieces from um, Mesoamerica, but uh, in a, you know, modern wearable style. And so I, I ordered a couple from Mexico and because I wanted to make sure it came from <laughs> from Mexico so and I was wearing it and I felt both empowered and at the same time a little exposed because it's bringing a part of me that I had not brought into a stage especially yeah. especially a stage that is like next to Capitol Hill like with a bunch of uh policy and um heads of companies or leads of divisions and that was intimidating but also empowering because it was not just me bringing me but bring others along with me I think it's like a silent uh silent representation of it and I had a nice experience in the uber on my way to the event I it was a um, a woman from El Salvador who was driving and then she you know pointed out the feathers and we started talking and in a very motherly Hispanic motherly way basically just uh, sent me off with like some very nice words and it was very heartwarming and so I kind of brought that energy with me and, and it made me really think that it's not just out there that I do it it's when I'm around other people and they find out like what I do, that there's a, I would say a community pride that comes along with it. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. and it's, so that's, it's this whole thing that I think has become very important to me of bringing every part of me into, into work. Mm -hmm. um, it might not necessarily impact the policy itself but it's impacting things in a different way absolutely and so in the context of everything that you shared with me just now I'm curious what does wellness mean to you yeah whew, that's a that's a big one because I think that's also another item that I've been working on because at least in 
the way I grew up and the culture I grew up in, and I'm not sure if you might identify too, it's the work, 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 work. You got to make things happen. You got to make sure things get through. And it's great when it comes to your work ethic at work. And it's great when you're doing projects, but it doesn't leave the room to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. all the time. And so I had to figure out that the hard way by like getting sick and my anxiety getting worse. And, you know, I have both anxiety and PTSD. So that whole mess of like, you have to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to figure that out too. And I also had to be open about those things. Um, as you know, we have, I have the Set Factor Fellowship with a couple of other people and I was open with them about like, hey, sometimes I might, uh, I need some, some time because I, I need to be able to process things. And especially over the last years in COVID, it has not been easy for, for anyone. And being able to take that time, I think was both necessary, but also a privilege. Uh, yes. Because it was a privilege of the current position I have. If I didn't have this position, I wouldn't be able to do that. And that's also, I think, important to acknowledge for myself uh, because I can't expect that from everyone. I can't mm-hmm. expect for everyone to be able to do that because it's unfortunately not accessible to everyone. I was lucky enough to be able to have a great therapist, uh, a good support group of friends and family and Uh, people around me who understand but not everyone has that and not everyone is able to do that and I would say especially students are and we forget about students and how wellness and mental health is pushed to the side for them because for so long yeah yeah and then they you know we we expect students to go 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 graduate get a job do an internship do those things and it doesn't hit them until they're in the workforce and they finally have time to think about everything they've just gone through. Uh, So I think it's important to also think about students as people that need that wellness, as people that need the rest. And it can be very different to everyone, but I think for me, it's finding times for myself, finding time for me to not talk to people and just be with my dog or paint or draw or anything that gets me to express things that I feel um and they don't have to be productive they don't have to do anything but it took a while for me to get here and it took like a while for me to accept that uh so sometimes I joke that I I don't pay my therapist enough uh (laughs) I well, first I complain when I see the bill, but then uh, when I'm able to process things, I'm like, oh, I don't pay her enough. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, that is wonderful. And with all the wellness things also comes your role as a leader and being able to say and take space as someone with anxiety and PTSD, as you said, in the leadership role that you're in authentically and to talk about that openly with the students as you shared in the Z Factor Fellowship. And so I'm curious, what does being an effective leader mean to you? I think I'm still figuring it out. (laughs) Uh, But part of it is, at least from what I want to do, 
is make sure people know that it's okay to take time for themselves and make sure that to not make them feel that work is everything because work is not everything work is a part of our lives it's a part of who we are and sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to separate when we're in this industry because we like what we do and it becomes a huge part of us but it can't be everything because if things go wrong it impacts us a lot more um and I'll do a shout out to Caitlin Hayden, who was our former VP of comms at AIA, but now Ooh. works at BAE. I think she is one of the best examples of leadership I've ever seen. She was caring. She was um, attentive to her, not only her staff, but the staff around her, to the interactions that they had, the way that people spoke to them, their workload. She was aware of when people needed a top cover to say no. And she was also willing to tell other leaders no, to tell them, no, this is how much work my people have. They need to get through this. If it's an extreme priority we need to figure out, then what else needs to be put on hold? She was so good at that, but she was also, again, so good at being a person to others. And it's not, she led by example and led with, I would say she led with both passion and care. And she was very much about like, taking care of yourself and making sure you can do things right and that you have the time to do things right. Um, and also saying no, she was good at saying no. I'm still working on that one. Uh, but she was, I think, one of the best examples of leadership that I've seen and one of the best examples that I hope to be like because she is amazing and um, and whatever be is paying her is probably not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is fantastic. And she's definitely someone I'm going to have to follow online. And it's such a great reminder for all of us to know when and how to say no and how much that is linked with being an effective leader. Mm -hmm. And I've just loved all parts of our conversation today. I was wondering if you felt like there was anything else that was lingering that you wanted to add in on any of the topics, anything that you feel like was left that you wanted to further unpack or anything like that? I would say the part of that work is not everything. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of what we do. But you should also develop other parts of you uh, because there is so much more to life than work and like I said it can be very difficult for people in our industry because we love we love we love what we do so it's very easy to just get sucked in and do all the things I know I I did it I'm doing it uh but it's also working on other items because life has so many more aspects than just work and I know we spent the majority of our time working and doing projects but there is other aspects that are going to 
be fulfilling and that will bring, I would say, a fullness to life that um, that is necessary to bring what you want from yourself into your work, especially if it's your passion too. Absolutely. And things that just work can't give you. Well, yeah. thank you so much for chatting with me about all of these incredible topics. I and so many people in the community that looks closer to us are so grateful that you were able to persevere through all the hard things for the representation that you bring in your role. So I'm so grateful. They are so grateful. Thank you for everything that you've done and continue to do and outside of work too to uplift these voices. We're so deep, deeply grateful. And thank you. You have been an amazing voice for people as well with all the platforms and everything you've been able to do. I sometimes wonder if you ever sleep because you're <laughs> always like posting everywhere, showcasing everything you do and making that space for people because it's going to be easier for the next person to see you and come in and say, oh, I have an example of someone that I can be like. So thank you for making that space and for doing it in a way that it's exciting and also, um, I would say, full of passion. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I just hope you have the best day. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Leadership Equity and Wellness Pod by Ricky Roy. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please leave me a review and follow me at Ricky Roy on Instagram and at Ricky underscore Roy on TikTok. Thank you so much for spending this time growing with me. Until next time, take care of yourself.